I'd like to invite you along the Camino with me. I'm Holly Brock, and welcome to the playful ponderings of my particular pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago. took a pretty deep dive in this story, Dimensional Danger, and I'd like to say that this story is more about our use of truth rather than what is the truth. I think it matters, or I wouldn't have tried to write about it, but I hope I said it well. And now, my ponderings on Dimensional Danger. I'm calling this story Dimensional Danger. I love to research and study and prepare. It's kind of like being asked on Tuesday if you would like to go on a date on Friday. If you say yes, the next few days are spent in anticipation of the date. Post-date is full of reflection, but pre-date is all anticipation. Reflection, like a ray in math, can go on ad infinitum as it has a starting point, but not really an end point. Anticipation, though, is limited, like a line, having a definite start and end point. And because the days of preparing are limited, they are precious in that way. Don't get me wrong, being spontaneously swept off your feet has an undeniable energy to it. But, ah, the sweetness of anticipating, of imagining what it will be like. The thing has not yet come into specific shape and therefore could be anything. Why all this talk, you ask? Believe it or not, I'm getting around to saying that studying a guidebook of the Camino de Santiago prior to actually walking it felt to me like getting ready for a date. Sweet anticipation. I get a little giddy when I study something like this, especially maps, and would venture to say that I love guidebooks but won't because my kids will quickly remind me that one cannot love an inanimate object, only like or appreciate it. So I'll say that I really, really like and appreciate guidebooks. Here's something I've realized about guidebooks, though. All guidebooks, no matter what style or language they are written in, share one fundamental limitation. Everyone, without exception, is a two-dimensional effort at describing something which is three-dimensional. And herein lies the danger, a slippery slope that human nature can and has been sliding down for pretty much our whole existence. It's the belief that knowing about something is knowing something. My husband understands this concept well because he lives full out. He is also a phenomenal teacher because he encourages others to do the same. As he says it, don't let school get in the way of your education. One of his favorite topics is epinosis, which proposes that to truly understand something, to have a thorough comprehension of it, one must experience it and take it in. It is not enough to have information about it. Epinosis only happens once you have experienced something. His favorite example is an apple. You can know about an apple, 
that it is a fruit, that it grows on trees. You can hold it in your hand and see its shape and color. But it is only once you bite into that apple, taste it, chew it, swallow it, digest it, and use those nutrients where it literally becomes part of you that you can say that you really know that apple. Now back to guidebooks. I began to realize that the best they can do is give information about a place and try to describe it. When I looked at the book prior to walking, I tried to take in the information and imagine what would be coming, and then I would walk. And without fail, it would be different than what I had imagined, because experiencing it is an, ex- is an exponential leap from 2D to 3D. There's no way around it. There's one way through, and that's through. A guidebook can tell so much about something, but can never describe it to the fullness of experiencing it. In some ways, that's all communication can do. The danger is thinking we know something when all we really know is information about it. Like if I thought, oh, I know the Camino because I had memorized the guidebook about it. That's making an unjustifiable epistemological leap If we confuse the two-dimensional knowledge about something with the three-dimensional reality that it describes, we are tempted to think we know enough to be an expert and perhaps even become the judge. Kind of like this. What if you staked $1,000 that you could describe something? What if I showed you a card with an image of two checkerboards on it? Each checkerboard has four balls on its surface. All you have to do is describe what's there. If you said, easy, the balls are sitting on the first checkerboard, but are hovering over the second, you would owe me a thousand bucks because the 2D version didn't reveal the whole truth. Visually, it appears the position of the balls is different, but spatially, the balls sit in exactly the same position on both of the checkerboards. What fooled you is the placement of the shadows, making it seem that the balls sat differently. If we could get on our hands and knees and look at those balls and checkerboards from different angles, like in real life, and see the same scenario but in 3D, then we could see more thoroughly. We would be able to see that the balls sit on the checkerboards in exactly the same positions. The danger, though, wasn't that you couldn't see the whole truth. The danger came when you were so sure that you could that you staked a thousand bucks on it. I wonder how much of the Bible we have handled this way. We read about something that we have not experienced and in that sense don't fully understand and then make that dangerous 2D to 3D leap and make ourselves the judge. I walked with a younger friend through a really tough time in her marriage. There were moments where we wondered if this situation would end in a painful divorce. I pondered what it says in the Bible about divorce, that God hates it. That is the quintessential verse referred to in making a judgment on divorce, meaning divorce is bad, even sinful. I realized I hated it too, but only because I was seeing the damage it would do to this precious family. And then it dawned on me, maybe that's why God hates it. Could God be saying he hates it because it hurts those he loves so badly? That is an altogether different reason to hate something. 
How else has this danger of conflating 2D with 3D caused pain? Where else are we illegitimately making ourselves the judge and very possibly misunderstanding God? What is the whole truth here? Because there is truth. I just want to be very humble if I step into becoming the judge of it. Back to the Camino and the guidebooks that described it. Here's what was absolutely profound. If at the end of the day I went back to the book and looked again at the section it described that I had just walked, aha, now I have experienced in three-dimensional high definition what the guidebook was describing, and now I can see exactly why it was described that way in the 2D version. And now I could see how, most of the time, the way it had been described, although limited, was the best way possible. I knew how to use it now. I knew how not to use it now. It was one of the most succinct experiences of knowledge on its way to becoming wisdom. The difference between looking at a guidebook about the Camino and walking it is like that. It doesn't make you better if you've walked it. It just means you know it better. You know how that junction was confusing, how you get irritable if you're hungry or hot, how beautiful that vista was, how discouraging it can be if you have a blister, how good it feels to settle in for the night. The 3D experience engenders empathy and therefore compassion that the 2D simply cannot. And perhaps that's why God gives us lives to live. Perhaps the Bible is the guidebook, but God knows that we need the 3D of experience to go with it. It's by the living of it that we truly understand and have compassion. And perhaps this is a reason Jesus came in the flesh. He loves us so much that he wanted to experience the life we have in 3D. I'm not sure about you, but the idea that the Son of God would become the Son of Man to love me more thoroughly makes me want to follow him and trust him to be my judge. If we stop short at a two-dimensional perspective, we suffocate the wisdom and empathy brought by the experience in the third dimension. But buckle your seatbelts. If we stop even there, we suffocate the mystery found in the fourth dimension. When you're walking, sometimes there are clear places to stop and rest. Cafes provide welcome nourishment. Town squares have blessed pilgrim fountains and benches. Churches have front steps and pews that are substantial in more ways than just giving shelter. Sometimes you come upon a picnic area with tables. But sometimes when the path wanders deep into the countryside, even a tree or grassy spot or a riverbank would do just fine to sit and take your boots off for a breather. And humorously, sometimes a crowd would gather in the most unexpected, uncomfortable, unwelcoming spots. The power of suggestion is strong, and sometimes in these desolate regions and in a state of exhaustion, all it takes is one person stopping to rest somewhere that transforms it into a gathering spot. I remember one day when a small group of pilgrims stopped in stopped on this little hill of shale. My guess is that one got a rock in her shoe or needed sunscreen or any number of things, and her companion sat down while their friend took the time to tend to the need. That simple act started an avalanche of pilgrims stopping also, assuming the group had stopped there because it was significant. 
what could possibly make this slippery and uncomfortable hillside of shale special? We all laughed, realizing that the answer was nothing. The answer was nothing, but it did make me wonder if the better answer was nothing yet and enter the power of the fourth dimension. If a place, especially the ground we are standing on, is considered significant or holy, it is because something happened there in the past. That's a response retroactively to what we know. It bakes my noodle to wonder what has happened on the ground that we're standing on that we don't know about. Maybe a robbery, a murder, where a treasure is buried. But now turn up the heat and imagine that same spot proactively. What is to come? What will happen on this piece of the earth's crust in the future? Kind of makes me want to take every step as on holy ground. Because some ground has been, some ground is, and some will be. 